Hi, ladies. Welcome to this week's podcast, and we are looking at the seven signs of Jesus. My name is Sue Mills, and this week we are looking at two stories from John 4, 46 through 54, and John 5, 1 through 18. And can I just say these are wonderful, action-packed stories. If you haven't done your study yet, oh, do it. It's going to be great. And we're going to compare and contrast both of those stories. The first story is of the healing of the nobleman's son. And it's just so heartfelt and emotional and hard and raw. So without further ado, let's dig in. Now, after Jesus had met the woman at the well in Samaria, and because of her testimony, many believed, it's such a fantastic story. Jesus goes from there, and he goes into Galilee. And it tells us in verse 45, the Galileans welcomed him. For they had been in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration and had seen everything he did there. So, ladies, because it was a Passover feast, everyone would have been there. Everybody went to Jerusalem during those feasts. And they must have seen Jesus and all that he did in Jerusalem. Maybe they remembered when Jesus turned the merchant tables over in the outer courts of the temple. That would have caused a great scene. And Jesus there predicted his own resurrection. Can you imagine that? That got tongues wagging. That would have been very memorable. It tells us in John 2 that Jesus performed many unspecified signs. Listen to this in John 2, 23 through 25. Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust him. Because of his signs and wonders, they began to trust him. But it goes on to say Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature, for he knew what was in each person's heart. Now, I want you to remember this passage because what we need to look at is everything Jesus did, the way he did it, the way he spoke to each person. It was not only to alleviate their circumstance, but to go straight to their hearts and have not only an outward seeing is believing or looking for the next miracle, but a heart knowledge that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and He can be trusted. So the story goes on to tell us Jesus enters Cana, the Cana where He had turned the water into wine, that Cana. Remember that? his first miracle? Well, while he is there, a certain nobleman whose son is sick and on the brink of dying, he comes seeking Jesus. He comes from Capernaum, which is about 20 miles away. And the Bible tells us that the nobleman begged Jesus to come to his home and heal his son. Let's look at a couple of things here. One, this nobleman is probably an officer in Herod's court. The word for nobleman literally means a royal person. He's a person of importance. He's a Gentile, has a very high position, but here he comes, seeking Jesus, begging Jesus. You know, when you are that desperate, and it's a life-or-death situation, there's no status, there's no position, it doesn't mean anything. The ground is just level, isn't it? We're coming desperate. 
and we need a miracle. Well, in my imagination, because I use it a lot, I would imagine that that caused a crowd to come around and just see what Jesus would do in this situation. But here's the crazy part. Here's this nobleman begging Jesus, and here's Jesus' answer. And it seems kind of harsh in a way, or so it does at first. Jesus says this, Will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? And I sit back like, what? This man is begging for a healing. And that was Jesus' first words to this man? You know, I've walked with the Lord a long time, and the more I study, the more I find that every word Jesus spoke, it's so much deeper, so much more penetrating than certainly my little brain can take in. Now, was Jesus just addressing this nobleman? I don't know. Or was he also addressing the people who are around, no doubt watching? The Bible doesn't say. But remember this in John 2. Jesus knows what's in each person's heart. Ah, here's where Jesus asks the question, Will you believe me, even if you don't see the answer right away? Without saying those words, that was the meaning. Do you believe my words? And today I know there are many listening to this podcast, and they've been asking God for a miracle, a physical healing in a marriage or in a family, praying for that prodigal for financial needs to be met. And yet here we are when we find ourselves waiting and not seeing anything close to an answer. But ladies— as we study God's Word together, as we read and as we pray, do you hear it? Do you read in His Word that He is working even when we don't see? Do you understand that He is asking you to trust Him? Even when there's no sign He's working? Do you believe the impossible because He is the God of the impossible? You see, at this point, He wanted to take the nobleman deeper. Not a faith that only believes if he sees signs and wonders, no, but a deeper knowing that he is God and to have faith in what he doesn't see. What is faith? Well, Hebrews tells us this, that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Well, as this conversation is going, the official continued to plead with him, Lord, Please come now before my little boy dies. The nobleman didn't give up asking. And here's Jesus' answer in 50, verse 50. Go back home. Your son will live. Now right here is the big test. Does the nobleman continue to beg Jesus and say, No, no, you have to come to my house. You have to touch him. You have to anoint him with oil. You have to speak the word and touch. Come to my home. See my son. Heal him. Or does he take Jesus at his word and go back home, believing? Because there were no signs and wonders for the crowd to see, for the nobleman to see. He was just told, Go home. Your son lives. And here it is. He believed, and he headed home. Wow. As a mother of four, just turning around and going, Okay, all right, you're not going with me. I believe you. 
Wow, that's faith, isn't it? I wonder what that journey was like going back home before he was met by his servants because the servants told him that his son was healed at the exact moment that Jesus said, your son lives. As he was there by himself walking, was he saying to himself, Jesus said, my son will live. Jesus said, my son will live. Was he taking Jesus at his word without at that point any evidence of any kind that that begging, that prayer had been answered? This man simply believed in what Jesus said. Do I do the same? Oh, ladies, I want to. I pray, and often my prayers are like this, Lord, I don't know how you're going to answer this prayer. It looks impossible to me. But at your word, I know you will answer, and it will be in your timing and in your way. I believe, Lord, but there are times, Lord, would you help me with my unbelief? You know, the crowd standing around that day, they didn't see any miracle. This was done in private. But what they saw was the nobleman believing, and he went home. And he went home a changed man, trusting in the Lord. And not only him, but when he got home and he told his family, it says the whole household believed. Is this not an incredible story that we could talk about for hours? Yes, we could. Oh, Lord, your ways are so much higher, so much deeper. But we're going to head into chapter 5 now. And in this one, Jesus returns to Jerusalem. And it says this, Afterwards, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the Sheep Gate, was the Pool of Bethesda, with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, laid on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. That's older than some of you listening to this, for sure. It's a long time. It goes on to say, when Jesus saw him, and he knew exactly that he had been sick, he goes up to this man. He seeks this man out, different from the other story that we just talked about. And he asks him this question, would you like to be made well? (sighs) What a question. And of course, our first thought is, well, of course he does. He's going to say, yes. Again, Jesus takes this man deeper with his question. And the man starts to say, he starts to make excuses. I can't. I can never get into the water quick enough when it stirs. This man's only hope was getting into that pool, not realizing that the one who created him was asking him if he wanted to be healed, not only physically, but also spiritually, as we're going to see next. Now, in this healing, Jesus did it very publicly because he wanted to get the attention of the religious leaders, and boy, did he. Here's Jesus' words to the man. Stand up, pick up your bed, and walk. And the man who hadn't walked in 38 years, he gets up, picks up his mat, now that's important, and he walks away. 
Sometimes we gloss over, this is an amazing miracle. And everybody there that had seen this man all the time there for years and years is walking around carrying his mat. But here's the problem. It was on the Sabbath day. (laughs) Do you think Jesus just forgot it was the Sabbath day when he told the man to pick up the mat? No, no, no. Jesus knew that it was illegal to carry anything on the Sabbath. That was considered work. The religious leaders see the man carrying the mat, and they go crazy. They have a fit. They had no excitement that this man had been healed. They were so worried that he had broken this rule. Listen to Warren Wiersbe. He says this about this passage. In healing this man on the Sabbath, he deliberately challenged the legalistic traditions of the scribes and Pharisees. They had taken the Sabbath, which was God's gift to man, and had transformed it into a prison house of regulations and restrictions. I love that, and it's just so, so true. Again, using my imagination, I wonder when Jesus told the man to pick up his mat and walk on the Sabbath, did Jesus not inwardly smile a little bit, have a little twinkle in his eye? Did he think, this is going to ruffle so many feathers, it's about to get crazy, because it sure did. And it tells us in verse 16 of chapter 5, So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. No talk about the miracle. They were so blinded by their laws, they couldn't see the miracle, only the broken rule. Well, Jesus goes on to tell them, and here it goes, it's going to get crazy more. He says, my father is always working, and so am I. And the scripture goes on to say, so the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. Amazing. Imagine that. Their hearts were so hardened. It tells us in verse 18, For he not only broke the Sabbath, so these Pharisees would say, he called God his Father, thereby making himself equal with God. Wow, ladies, what a day. Every word that Jesus speaks takes us deeper if we let him if we're willing, because his words shows us what's in our heart. And we certainly can see the condition of these religious leaders' hearts. They should have recognized the Messiah. They're pouring over the Old Testament day in, day out. But instead, when they see this miracle, they wanted to kill him. But Jesus doesn't stop there, and he continues to claim to be the Son of God. Can you just picture all this? Crazy. In Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said this, Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophet. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. No, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law of Moses, but here he was shattering the man-made ridiculous laws that no one could keep. And it made the religious leaders furious. Ah, their hearts were revealed. Ladies, every word that we read in the Bible, Jesus is wanting to take us deeper, cause us to trust Him, even if there's chaos going around. 
He wants to take us deeper. Well, now back to the story of healing of the lame man, which I find fascinating. Jesus, again, seeks him out. And we're told that he says this, Now you are well, so stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. You see, so much more than a physical healing was the healing of this man's heart. We don't know what his sin was, but we do know it was crippling emotionally and spiritually. Oh, my friends, this same Jesus wants to do that deeper work in all of us. Yes, He can change our circumstances, and He does. Can I get an amen for that? But if He only changes our circumstance, our hearts aren't changed. He wants to do a work in you and in me. He wants to heal that depression, that anxiety and fear, that unforgiveness, that hatred, that hardened heart. These and so many more They're crippling, and he wants to tell you, Oh, daughter, I came to set the captives free. I'm seeking you out, and I want you to seek me, because if you seek me, you will find me. I want to work in your life more than just your circumstance. Do you trust me? Because I already know what's in your heart. Oh, woman, get up and follow me. Oh, Lord Jesus, we just thank you right now for your word. We thank you for these stories that are so human and yet so divine. Lord Jesus, you care about our hearts. You care about our circumstances. You care about every tear that falls down our face. And I pray right now for those that are listening, that are waiting for that miracle, waiting that they would learn to grow in you more than they ever had that they wouldn't be discouraged, they wouldn't walk away, but they would cling ever tightly to you. Lord, work a work. Send them encouragement. Send them that love and a gift of faith that they could continue to cling on to you, that they would know that you love them, you have a plan, and that it's going to work out for good. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.